these three, these three words um, that we want to focus on this morning, um, it is finished. I said it's three words in one word because, and I'm not one of those people who are like, in the original, it actually means this. Like, you clowns who can't speak Hebrew and Greek won't be able to read what it means, you know. I'm not like Mr. Hebrew and Mr. Greek. Um, but the, the Greek word is one word. It's tetelestai. It's, it is one word. It's a wonderful word. A mate of mine has got it tattooed on himself. Um, it's quite a long thing to tattoo uh, on, on yourself across your chest. But uh, it's tetelestai. That's what Jesus cries out. It is finished. And depending on which gospel account you read, this is the last thing that Jesus says before he dies. That's what John says to us, that Jesus cries out, it is finished, and then bowing his head, he gives up his spirit. Other gospel writers have him saying uh, other things before he says, oh, he doesn't say it is finished. In the other gospels, it doesn't really matter. It happens right near the end. Jesus is on the cross. This is minutes, maybe seconds away from him dying. These are his last words. It is finished. What I want us to look at this morning is, what is finished? What is finished? If he's crying out, it is finished, something's finished. What? What is it? It's really, really important that we understand what the it is that's finished. If, if Jesus is making that declaration with his dying breath, it is finished. It's something that he's declaring and celebrating as he gives up his spirit and dies in human flesh. It's, there is a very long list of things that fall under the what is the it, and I'm not going to go through all of them. I want to point out a few of them to us this morning for our encouragement. Maybe the overall arching banner is the it that is finished, is that he came to, um, the reason for which he came is finished. The reason for which Jesus came into the world is done. As he stretches out his arms on that cross and gives up himself, unto death as he's dying now it's finished it's not that he just lived a good life you hear some people say i really like jesus i love what he taught what a cool guy if only the world like was like more like jesus what he taught was amazing it would turn the world upside down if everyone just kind of lived like jesus jesus did live a perfect life what he did what he taught will turn the world upside down but jesus is not a good person he's not a moral teacher He's not an encouraging example. Jesus says it's finished when he's dying. He comes to die, not just to live and to teach um, and, you know, and to model how to be the, the ultimate human being. He comes to do the will of his Father. This is not stuff I'm making up. This is what Jesus says. He says, I only do what my Father tells me to do. And his Father asks him and instructs him all the way to the cross you remember in the garden of gethsemane that wrestling of jesus you may not be familiar with it but he's he's wrestling um, hours before this and he's pleading with the father say if there's another way for this to happen can we can we do that is there another way he knows there's no other way and so he says what does he say not my will your will not my will my will would be to to find another way to do this because he knows what it entails, and we're going to look at it. He said, if there's another way to get to the end result, let's do that. But he says he eventually relents, and he says, I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do your will. That's what was finished. It was the complete and perfect obedience to the will of his father. 
Jesus says, I didn't come to serve, but to be, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what's finished. That's what's happening on the cross. Jesus is serving as a ransom. What is a ransom? Unfortunately, in South Africa, it seems like kidnappings are on the rise. I mean, I don't want to depress everyone kind of thing, but you know, it's on the, in the news. Like, And I read one article, somebody got kidnapped, and they had like a two million rand ransom for the person. That's what a ransom is. It's something that you pay so someone's released. It, it, it's a debt kind of thing that needs to be paid so that to secure the freedom of another who's been held captive. And that's what happens on the cross. Jesus is paying the ransom. He is paying the price for the freedom of those who are not free. You weren't free. There was a time in your life when you weren't free. And what happened is that God applied what he accomplished on the cross to ensure that you moved from slavery to freedom. If you're not a Christian yet, that's the reality of your life. You're still a slave to your own desires, uh, to your own will, to your own pleasures. You haven't experienced the freedom that Jesus has won for you, but this is where he won it. This is where he wins it on the cross. He comes to be a sin substitute. Let me read a couple of, a couple of scriptures that make this clear. This is the it on the cross, Jesus being the sin substitute. Some people don't like this. There, there are versions and branches of Christianity that really push back against this. And it, it always flabbergasts me. I'm like, why don't we like to talk about sin? Why do, we, why do we not want to talk about Jesus becoming a sin substitute for us and having to go to the cross and pay with his life, with his blood for the sins of the world? Why, why is there such a resistance to that? It, it, it confuses me. Because you see it so clearly in the scriptures. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he, speaking of God, made the one, this is Jesus, made the one who did not know sin. He did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is a verse that doesn't matter how many times you read it, it should just cause you to be like, whoa, don't want to skip past it. Don't want to just keep reading like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. This exchange that happens in the cross, that he took him who knew no sin, not some sin, not less sin than you, no sin, absolutely perfect. Jesus is absolutely perfect. And he makes him sin. He bears all the sin of the world on him so that what? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ switches places with us. The righteous becomes sin, so the sinful can become righteous. It's mind-bending stuff. When I ask you what's your standing, if you're a Christian this morning, what's your standing? What's the banner over your life? What's the description? Righteous or sinful? What would your answer be? It can only be one answer. It doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter how you feel this morning, how bad a week you've had, how much you shouted at the family getting ready for church. I know what happens, you know. I know what I, <laughs> I avoid my family before I come to church, so I don't shout at them. See, my kids at the back, you're not allowed to nod, not say anything, you can walk home. You know? I know what happens. You may arrive, you're not feeling like a first class Christian. 
the truth of the Bible is what? What is the descriptor? What is the, what is the loudest voice over your life? Sinful or righteous? And Paul reminds us that there is one who was made sin in your place so that you can be made righteous. And it's not a temporary arrangement. And you don't vacillate, bounce backwards and forwards. It's a once for all thing. You were that, now you are this. You were that, and now you are this. And nothing changes what he has done. Christ is not going back to the cross. Oh, they had a bad week. Off I go again. You know, dying again. Jeez, these guys are killing me. You know, literally. That was a lame. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, I should rehearse these sermons more. Um, he, He can't, the Bible makes it clear, he can't die again. He can't die again. It's, it's built into those words. It is finished. Finished. He's not going back again. If he's not going back again, you don't have to go back again. If he's done it once, it's a once for all thing. The change that's affected through faith in Jesus is a permanent switch from sinful to righteous. That should blow your mind. If you're a believer in Jesus, that's what happened to you. John says the same thing in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. You know that he was revealed, Jesus, so that he might take away sins. And there was no sin in him. First Peter reminds us that he bore our sin in his body on the tree. What else is the it that was finished? Jesus breaks the power of Satan, sin, and death breaks the power of Satan, sin, and death, and you see the culmination and and the fulfillment of that, we will see it when he returns. People ask me all the time, like, if Jesus broke the power of Satan, sin, and death at the cross, it doesn't look like it's, you know, doing much now. It looks like Satan's kind of like bossing the place, like he's running riot all over the world, there's still sin, there's death. It's just like, I know you guys as Christians, you like to talk about Jesus breaking the power of Satan, sin, and death, but it doesn't look like much has happened. And to which I would say it has happened. And you see shafts of light, as it were, breaking through the clouds. You see the kingdom advancing. You see the power of sin being broken in your own life. You see the power of the effects of death being broken over your life. You see the, 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 the power of Satan broken over your life as you move from darkness to life. I mean, darkness to, to light, death to life. But the fullness of it is still coming. The fullness is still coming when Jesus comes to make all things new. A passage I want us to read and reflect on is Colossians 1. If you have a Bible, turn to this one because it's a bit longer. Colossians 1, from verse 19 to 23. For God was pleased... Speaking of Jesus, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, to reconcile everything to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. By making peace through blood that was shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now, he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy 
faultless and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. There is so much in there, but I want to highlight to you a couple of things that in the cross, what is Jesus doing? He is making peace through blood shed on the cross. He's making peace. There is a peace that's been made between creation and the creator and it was accomplished through blood that was shed on the cross. Yeah, you were once alienated and hostile. You were. You weren't always a Christian. You know, you may, may not have, maybe you've came to faith young in life, but there was a time where you were, you were, you were an alien to the things of God, and God brought you near. It says, but now he has reconciled you through the physical, bath, physical body, through his death. And what has he done? This is amazing. He presents you holy, faultless, and blameless. Just when you think about your own life, you think about yourself, when I was talking about that righteous and um, full state, do you think those are words that describe you, holy, faultless, and blameless? Some people think he's only going to present us at the end, holy, faultless, and blameless. He will as well. But it's not a status that kicks in then. It's a status that comes because of what Jesus accomplishes where? through his physical body on the cross, through death. Right now, if you have placed your faith, so Paul says, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, this is the description of you, holy, faultless, and blameless. It doesn't mean that you are without sin, because we feel that still, but this is positional stuff before God. There's a holy, faultless, and blamelessness over you because you are in Jesus. Not because you've leveled up and your life is perfectly clean, but because when God sees you, he looks at you through his perfect, holy, and blameless son. Because you died with Jesus and you rose to life with him. And so now all of your life is in him if you are a believer in him. One more scripture. And then Bible drills over. Hebrews chapter 10. From verse 11. Hebrews has got lots of Old Testament stuff, talks a lot about the Old Testament sacrificial system and the priests and all the stuff they got up to. Jumping in Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 11, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down the right hand of God. There were no chairs in the temple. There were no chairs because the priest never got to sit. Because you didn't sit when there were still sacrifices to be made. There's always something to do. Always a sacrifice to be made. Always busy, busy, busy. Always, always, always. And here it says, but this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now he can sit. It's all done. It's finished. No more need to walk around. No more need for priests. No more need for sacrifices. Verse 13, he's now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. This is a verse that has, I have struggled throughout my Christian walk to get my head around. For by one offering, he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. This is the truth of your life. If you're a believer in Jesus, he has made you perfect forever. 
and he is sanctifying you. Your standing is what? Perfect forever. You can't add to that. When Jesus said, it is finished, that's what he meant. And you are being sanctified. All the, all the stuff is getting burnt away. You, you're getting shaped, transformed more and more, week by week, year by year, to look more and more like Jesus. And it's a work that God's going to continue until he either comes back or he calls for you. But the struggle of that reality can sometimes cloud the truth that we have been perfected forever. We've been perfected forever. There is a weight, as it were, that's been lifted off you and put on Christ. Some of you, you're you're striving for, for perfection. You feel your imperfection. You feel your imperfection. You live in the with the head down and the sanctifying things, you feel like I'm not making any progress here. And the reality is that these two things work together. You've been made perfect forever, not because of yourself, but because another died in your place. And you work out that, you live that experience out by being sanctified in this life. It gets applied to your life now. Your eternal status has been perfected forever. It is amazing. What did Jesus not say on the cross? He said, it is finished. What could he have said? I am finished. Oof, that was rough. He, he, he couldn't say that because he wasn't. He, he wasn't finished. It was finished. He wasn't finished. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. That's why he predicted again and again, I'm coming back. Put me in the ground three days later, you're going to see me again. Put me in the ground three days later, you're going to tear this down. I'm going to raise it again in three days. He knew he wasn't finished. It was finished. He wasn't finished. He didn't say, you were finished. You're all finished. He's not hurling curses. What is he doing from the cross? What is he doing? He's praying. He's praying for those who are murdering him. Because his battle is what? Against who? His battle is not against those he's dying for. His battle is against principalities and powers, against Satan, sin, and death, not against you. He comes to save. He comes to save. It's not that you are finished, it's it is finished. He doesn't cry, it's almost finished. It's almost done. Yeah, I've got you guys 90% of the way. Go, 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 you good things. How rubbish would that sound? I mean, it sounds anticlimactic, but it's just like, Jesus like, it's almost done, and then dies. It's like, everyone's like, what? And we wouldn't have Good Friday where it's like, guys, I want to, i got good news for you. It's almost finished. Just dig a bit deeper, push a bit harder, go, go, add a bit more, do this, do this, do this, and then it'll be finished. He says, it is finished, not almost finished. He doesn't say it will be finished. The cross is insufficient. He says on the cross as he's giving up his life, it says, this, it finishes here. This is where it ends. He knew that there was absolute certainty the Father would raise him back to life because you can't kill life. When when Peter's preaching in Acts 2, he says that it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. You can't keep life in the grave. 
It's impossible. Jesus knew that. He went to the cross knowing with 100% certainty the Father would raise him to life. Because you can't bury life. You can't kill the eternal life himself. It's not that it will be finished. It is finished as he gives up his breath. It's not, not that it might be finished. It is finished. What are the implications for us this morning that it is finished? Well, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you again and provoke you to remember this and to believe and to live like it's true. To really live like it's true. We always want to add. We always want to add. We, we, we doubt God. We, we run around doing so much spiritual activity, trying to improve ourselves. And we're feeling this thing like, oh yeah, when I've got my act together, God's happier with me. And when it's not like, oh, he's frowning with me. There's only three words I want you to remember when you leave this morning. It is finished. Your good works, your spiritual vitality, all of your energy, a good week, all your Bible reading, giving your bucks to the church, serving. It doesn't add. It doesn't add. It's finished. Yeah, it's part of living out. Living out the life God's won for us, but it doesn't add. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's all been done already. Satan would come and lie to you this morning again. And say, it's not finished. It's, it's almost finished. There's a whole bunch of stuff you need to do. Keep going. Do it, do it, do it. And it's a lie from the pit of hell because Jesus' words, are full, it's a full sentence. It is finished. I'm going to close by reading a quote by Tim Keller who explains how this works itself out in our lives. It's been very helpful. Unfortunately, you can't follow along, so you're just going to have to pay attention. It's a little bit longer. It's about a couple of paragraphs long, so just pay attention while I'm reading it. Most of us work and work trying to prove ourselves, to convince God, others, and ourselves that we're good people. That work is never over unless we rest in the gospel. At the end of his great act of creation, the Lord said, it is finished, and he could rest. On the cross, at the end of his great act of redemption, Jesus said, it is finished, and we can rest. On the cross, Jesus was saying of the work underneath your work, the thing that makes you truly weary, this need to prove yourself because who you are and what you do are never good enough, that it is finished. He has lived the life you should have lived. He has died the death you should have died. And if you rely on Jesus' finished work, you can know that God is satisfied with you. And you can be satisfied with life. He's done the work underneath all the work. And the only thing left for those of us who place faith in Jesus is what? Is to believe and to rest to believe and to rest because it is.